drop. Hey there, everyone. My name is Christian Wynn, the director of Storyfort. You're listening to Storyfort Presents, Voices of Treefort Music Fest, a weekly podcast that dives into the stories behind Boise's Festival of Discovery. Treefort Music Fest brings in hundreds of artists from all over the globe every March, typically, though we have now been rescheduled for September of 2021, the 22nd through 26th of September 2021, because of... Um, well, a global pandemic that we're all in the midst of trying to figure out what to do with uh, and stay creative, but we're still here to tell you about all things Tree Fort. And today, we're going out to the Idaho Botanical Garden, which is an amazing spot on the edge of downtown Boise, right by the old penitentiary and uh, right up against the foothills, where 17 acres of uh, I guess, land to be socially distanced within. And we have this great series going for um, Story Fort and uh, the Idaho Botanical Gardens, you know, partnered together. And we just got this uh, reading series. And this one's going to feature Lita Harris Neushauser. I always mispronounce her name. I'm sorry, Lita, but Lita Harris Neustetter. Um, Hannah Rodebaugh and Joplin Morgan. Some poetry, some song, some uh, historical narratives of... Uh, a plague we all learned about in school, and then also one we're living within. So enjoy these and be safe and well out there. Um, we're doing our best to uh, I don't know, get by, create art, be uh, kind to each other, and uh, mask up and all that kind of goodness. So listen up. Here it comes. Story 4 presents. All right, everybody. So uh, my name is Christian Wynn, and I know many of you here, um, folks. Um, thanks for showing up on a hot day, but this is a nice shade and a little bit of a breeze. But uh, Joplin, come on up here. We'll get your intro going. But uh, yeah, we have this is our second event in the Bloom Safe Summer Reading Series. And um, we had some nice cloud cover last time around and not today so much, but uh, we were having one, we did have one scheduled on Tuesday on the 14th, but we are going to actually be rescheduling that one and the next one is going to happen out here on a Saturday on the 28th, but I'll go over a bit of that later on. Um, Joplin Morgan's got some poetry for us. He's been a part of Story Ford in the past or Story Ford adjacent things and uh, he's a learner, a teacher, and a poet from Boise, Idaho. They love leafy greens, fine whiskey, and goblins of all kinds. Uh, Joplin has been published in literary magazines including Rabbit Catastrophe, Hot Metal Bridge, and others. Everything they write is a circle. So, thanks for being here. How's, how's it been going, by the way? Um, it's been going as well <clears throat> as I think it could be, you know? Yeah, you getting a lot of writing um, done in the pandemic? Not as much as I should be, but um, yeah, I'm still enjoying it. Yeah, is this new stuff, by the way? Or is um, this some of a, maybe a mixed bag? Definitely a mixed bag, all over the place. Some things I wrote this week, some things I wrote like two years ago. All um, right, well, let's get to it. Cool. 
thanks everybody for being here and thanks to the botanical garden and story for hosting this event i'd like to quickly acknowledge the territory of the botanical gardens as unceded territory of the shoshone bannock and paiute people i think it's important to recognize exactly where we're at thank you all for doing the same i thought that maybe i should have a theme so the theme for all of these is that they're love poems in one way or another I hold you now, my sweet one, my legacy, as you will hold yours and remember. The bullets quicker than bees, your soft paws, small thunder, your panic hackles, and the smell of cooking meat. They skinned you and had you for supper in an iron pot, and they said how good you were. I wanted then to reach down to take what was left of you in that mess and cast you to heaven where your muscles could hang like stars, your bones rasping like angels' wings. I wanted then to stretch my roots and make you a burrow inside, complete with all the weavings of a home. I wanted to break my fingers, to build you a cradle, to teach you my language, and the groaning winds so that in your thickest dreams is my voice gently ringing and comprehended. You are one of us, even if you don't know it yet. I, inverse mother, cannot bend to help you. Only grow, remember, sing, senesce, get rounder, and practice the tune I have been waiting to give you all your life. Those men spilled your bones and tough bits at my feet. In the years to come, the rain brings your tone to me, all your pain grown into singing, you and I together again. I hold you now, my sweet one, my legacy, as you will hold yours and remember. You'll try to structure a silhouette, fold back the pedal to create order, the swoosh of cool black in contrast to heavy silver summer heat. Trackable day leads to trackable horizon, an inner place, no line, no window pane. You'll layer the platform with bat wings. Natural circle drops before an opening. Hot house blutch, notch back the hand, the deceptive figure of perfect faded. Look up with asymmetric force at you dispatched and your shadow draped in gold rings. It went like this, a last dusk on the furthest end with hard fruit humming in the trees. All the crows of the field gave one last caw, and in what was left we lay watching, white drip light out like honey, and into some new place. The plants became animals, became stars, became backwards. A streak in the deep we remembered, forgetting, there it was, there it was, here going gone, here again, and here's my favorite part. A flash that's half applause and half impossible encore. This next poem is um, titled Joyous Voladores. Uh, it's named the same as uh, its progenitor text, which is an essay by Brian Doyle, um, which is an exploration basically of the hearts of various creatures and their functions. A blue whale's heart is not like the heart that I have here in my chest. My heart is unfurnished. You cannot walk around in it. You must do so much more than bend your head to move from chamber to chamber. The valves of my heart are not saloon doors. They do not swing open, and no, there are no cowboys inside. When we still had heroes, they sang for us. Your heart is a muscle the size of your fist. If my fist was as big as a room, I'd never throw it in someone's face, even though I would in a comic book. If I had a fist as big as a room, I would crawl in and tick two billion notches on the boards. My heart is a minute place. You could maybe fit a locket in there. With how I choose to churn and spend my little regimen, it eats through any ornament. 
gold shrapnel of heirloom sifting down like dust. Um, this next one is a, for a, from a series of poems I wrote, um, all to Daedalus, who, if you don't know, is the father of Icarus. It was in the morning when I heard the song and opened the muscles of my back. I pulled the body of another boy through my tissue. His ropes were my ropes, his plumes were my plumes, and the blades in his boots were in my boots also. No, I did not create mercy. I birthed him and watched him crash into light. My crumpled husk in the bathroom, razor in the sink. Even now I watch his beating wings and I know it is not easier to fly. I know to many he will look like prey. He is a lover, I know. I know he is a lover because he has to be, because that is where he came from in me. This um, next one is from another series uh, of rituals, and there's a different ritual for every season. So this is spring ritual. String spun from spurned form severed, the blackbird with hollyhock turned toward an empty ward. New paint, new trim, no garden. Hovel becomes home for some strange family. No creatures in the attic, no devils on the walls. This was where we wore our wigs. This is where we cut the cords, forgot and taught the blackbird our songs. See, a blackbird can carry anything if it's true. So blackbird, carry this hollyhock to a wildfire. Tell her I'm here tying knots again. Tell her the knot is as strong as the string. Tell her the string is as strong as a ring. Tell her a ring that holds fast in the fall is untied by the blossoms of spring. I think I'm gonna skip one. Homeric and inhumed, we name another way. Bring old light, new flicker, new lamp, old oil. We brandish intuited past against the heat-split future fear of a summer plum set sinking. Perhaps, I say to you, these really are the end of days. Perhaps the tooth scrapes woody pit, flesh lost to dog, days before autumn rot. In either case, I am glad, I say. I love you now in spite of a wormy orchard or burning nursery. As agent, I choose to believe that belief is no choice, an agency statue. The body goes mad staying body. Numa and truth root in far waters. Lanterns declare their blossoms, so spring stays if it's recollected. Sirius and friends dance untrained in and out of perfect syzygy. Space blinks era into prophecy, the lonely and beatic entangle, and I, though loved, withdraw from love to join them. And I, though loved, learn from love that choice is its own shackle, unkinder even than all the cogs in some unthinking system. More importantly than all, in love, I learn to take my time draining wine from the bottle and still restore the ruined morning just you and the aspirin in our nexus of free will and fate. Okay, I have two more. This is called uh, Dialogue with Daffodil. Face bare, blossom bearing pollen falling on the forest floor. Because I am human, I must make time to weep for the earth. Daffodil, 
What do you bring? Some salve or salvation? No, it whispers. Only beauty, yellow beauty. Put me in your mouth, the bitter light, the melting petal, the fragile stamen. Remember me. Tell my taste when I am not here to tell it. Do not salt the earth with your tears. We have had a good season in this shared meadow of ours. Dear Daffodil, I will remember the hands of your clock ticking and unticking between twelve and one. Everything in the cradle of noon forever. The sway of the heather, the plums on the tree, the sun on their flesh and pits inside, waiting for a spring that won't come. And this last one was written um, for a friend of mine that uh, passed earlier this year. Uh, it's called The Sparrow and the Medicine, which is um, a song that we both loved a lot at one point. I keep the trinkets of a sparrow on the windowsill. Each night, I open the window to let him in, and he shows me what new treasure he has found. A stolen stone, a guitar string, a thimble full of desert rain. When he returns, he is tired from carrying, and I let him rest on my knee. I don't touch him or ruffle his feathers. Just listen to the quick beating of his heart and watch the sable gems of his eyes. We listen to the night, and when he finds his strength, he seems himself into it. Kiki riki, kuku riku. I fall asleep with the window open, and by sunrise he is gone again. Over time, his trips out the window get, window get longer, but his gifts get sweeter, and his heart sounds stronger. His feathers grow more colorful and wind-worn. Sometimes I do not see him for a month. Sometimes I do not see him ever again. Eventually, the pain of his departure is eclipsed by the memories of his arrival. The heartache of his absence, cured by the gratitude of the things he left. A stolen stone, a guitar string, a river full of desert rain. On Sunday mornings, <clears throat> I think I hear his song waxing into something more familiar. I ain't ahead, nor ne'er will be, till the sweet apple grows on a sour apple tree. And that's all I've got, so thanks for listening. I could ask you a few questions, if you don't oh, mind. Yeah, if you want to. <laughs> um, thank you very much, by the way. Oh, you're so, welcome. We have a few people here, so let's give another round of applause. And there you are. Thanks. Good job, Joplin. Thanks so much. Um, so yeah, you, you spoke of these as love poems. Yeah, in how, some way, kind of yeah, roundabout. How do you, how do you sort of define that for yourself? Or you know, the last one, of course, kind of a tribute to a friend who passed. Um, but I don't know. How do you how well, do you think of a love poem in your own work? Um, I had a class uh, at Boise State, and we read some collected works of Jack Spicer, who is notorious for his love poems. Um, and a lot of the times, the title would just say for a record player or something like that. Um, and it's not necessarily that they're all epistolary, but I think that as a younger poet, and a lot of young poets struggle with writing poems that are about themselves um, and to themselves. And so the love poem is a really convenient way to escape that and say, this is a poem for somebody else or for something else. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would agree with that, too. Um, it is oftentimes, I feel, as, as a younger man, a younger poet myself, it, it is wrote about myself a lot more than sure. I do nowadays, but uh, that's pretty cool. I'm, I'm curious, like, your, your work during this pandemic and nearly locked down, but uh, how, how's that been going? You said it was a little bit of a in-between, but uh, how do you go about this, the turning off the news cycle and 
all the uh, the complications of our, our current world and, and get into your own head, or do you have, or do you sort of channel some of that stuff into your work? Hmm, I don't I don't know. I don't think I ever really consciously channel anything. It just um, shows up when it shows up. Um, but as far as the news cycle, I think there's this trend right now, which um, it feels like, for lack of a better term, like apocalypse porn, where it's like everybody's like really worried that the world is ending. Um, and I think that that pattern parallels this pattern um, in people where they see the world they know ending and they think that everything is over. Um, and it's very like self-centric um, to imagine that because my world is changing, the whole world must be ending when, I mean, really America is just approaching conditions that the rest of the world has had to face for a very long time or certain parts of the world have had to face for a long time. Um, so. I try to kind of, I guess, just embrace change and um, like anything, you know, experience fear, but let it go before it starts to do more harm than good, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's quite difficult though, but I'm yeah. glad to have you know, a little bit of a respite on a Saturday afternoon for um, some, some poetry and some song cycles and some of Hannah's work coming mm -hmm. up here in a sec. Um, maybe one last question. I mean, you're pretty involved in the local poetry community. Um, I you know, sort of the spoken word scene, I know for sure, and mm. just out and about. Has that community kind of stayed together online, or are you guys going to Zoom and things and kind of share work? So I, I kind of left the spoken word community a couple of years ago. Okay. Um, and I think that's just because um, there's certainly, like, a performative quality to, it, quality to it, and there's, like, the sense of physiology where, like, your body is part of the poem, and I could, like that's complex, but that's not necessarily how I feel all the time. Um, but what's been good is that most of those people that I got close with when I was involved in the community and I have stayed friends, um, even more so than we've stayed peers or colleagues or things like that. So, um, yeah, we still will talk and call and phone calls have been really helpful. I think all around, it's nice to spend maybe an hour on the phone with somebody who you'd usually be getting coffee with or something. Yeah, well, that's great. And well, thanks so much. Thanks um, for having me. Yeah. yeah. And um, we're going to have Hannah up here in a second, but um, we'll kind of trade out the mic and sanitize real quick and have a good one, Job. Hang thanks. out. Enjoy some more stuff. So, okay. Not our usual conditions that we're used to. With, um, as Joplin said, things have changed quite a bit, but uh, it's cool to be out here for sure and uh, connect with some people um, and friends of mine, like Hannah, who I've worked with, uh, Hannah Rodebaugh, over at the cabin and around town and in other reading series and all that kind of stuff. Um, and our next two performers, creatives, are award winners of the COVID Cultural Commission. That's what it is. Um, the CCC, which uh, I guess about uh, two months Months ago now, awarded a thousand dollars to 69 artists in our uh, community, and Hannah was one of those recipients. So we can talk a little bit about your project. But the basic, I guess the the, the, the basics are: she's going to complete a chapbook manuscript of manuscript of poetry about the second plague pandemic that is informed by COVID-19. So I, I am curious about that stuff, but you can come on up to the mic and adjust it as you, as you need. I am going to read your bio, but you can be on stage for that. So, so no worries. I'm not sure what the yeah. procedure was going to be. And if I forget anything, add, feel free to uh, talk yourself up to. But Hannah Rodebaugh, oh. 
has an MFA from Europa <laughs> University and an MA from Miami University. She is the author of With Words, Verse in Concordance, out from Dancing Girl Press. Uh, we don't bury our dead when our dead are animals. Um, we trace the shape of our losses to see your face. And her work has been published in Anti-Narrative Journal, Berkeley Poetry Review, Roar Magazine, Horse Less Review, Cayenne Literary Journal, Linden Avenue Literary Journal, The Wire's Dream Magazine, Written River, um, Used Furniture Review, and Nerve Lantern, among others. She's received grants from the Idaho Commission on the Arts and the Alexa Rose Foundation, and has twice been artist in residence for the National Park Service. So, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. Are you going to read from your, your new project for us? Uh, yeah, I'm going to read some from that and then end with some nature poems that will be on a less depressing note. <laughs> yes. And I know you're a birder, too, so this is probably your natural environment for reading. I, I, I was pretty excited because a song sparrow landed I did that and sang great. while Joplin was reading. I was like, yeah. yeah. It was exciting. It came out for your reading. But uh, maybe just tell us a little bit about the project afterwards or during the reading while okay, you're performing yeah, sure. from it but it sounds really fascinating for sure um yeah i was i was actually uh, started working on the project uh before the pandemic so i'm really fascinated by historical epidemics and epidemiological history and i had been reading a lot about um the second plague pandemic which is basically the pandemic of the bubonic plague that started in around roughly 1350 onward and I was really uh, fascinated by this book, which I have here. It's a rare, rare copy of this book. It was published in the 1920s. It's by a German uh, physician named Johannes Knoll. And it's basically um, one of the first attempts to um, look at the kind of social or psychological imp impacts of a pandemic that's in which that affects your everyday life. Um, so I was kind of working on that project and then the pandemic happened. <laughs> So um, it, I felt like uh, it was kind of prescient in that way that I was already kind of looking at writing about pandemics. Um, and I'm going to read um, six or seven pieces from the actual project. Um, and then I'm going to read a couple of pieces, uh, end with a couple of pieces from a couple of residencies I did last summer. I did one for the National Park Service and then one for the BLM. And I just have a, before I begin, I just have a, two quotes um, and the first one's by Petrarch, and the second one's by Boccaccio, and they're kind of describing um, when the bubonic plague first started showing up in Europe in the late 1340s. Um, and Petrarch says, Oh, happy posterity, who will not experience such abysmal woe and will look upon our testimony as a fable? And then this second one is from the, it's from the preface of uh, Boccaccio's Decameron. And he says, among which matter of marvel, let me tell you one thing, which if the eyes of many as well as mine own had not seen, hardly could I be persuaded to write it, much less to believe it, albeit a man of good credit should report it. Um, so the first um, piece I'm going to read is about um, comets. So... Uh, during that time period, because they didn't, ha because people did not ha have 
germ theory. They didn't have an understanding of the scientific method. So they really looked for anything unusual in their environment as uh, precursors or things that caused the plague. And so this is about their, this is kind of hysteria in response to a, a comet from the 1500s um, that uh, preceded an outbreak of the plague. The comet. Under the comet, people lifted up their terror to new heights. Everyone foretold the end of the world. The markets closed. We lived on dry bread and sacks of grain, the food we fed, our livestock. Mists hugged the ground, became animals like wolves. We lost the ability to reason, begged for mortuary candles in the dark. We sewed ourselves into funeral shrouds for easy handling by grave diggers. We gave out microscopic gestures, walked among the village throng, touching the clothes of others to get them sick. Meaning only matters when it is carried into the future. We were delirious. We climbed to the tops of buildings and hurled tiles into the street till shot by guards. We danced till our hearts gave out bells on our clothes like jesters. We lay in our unplowed fields, pigs in our dung keep, eating corpses. Then we were in the earth with so many others. Death begets company. Somebody told a joke, rattled us apart, became bone churches. Prima Vista of Clavicle, Our Lady of Femurs. When someone visits us, we don't know what to say to them. We stare down a great chimera as walls and walls of skulls. We count our names when we can remember them or say old plague proverbs. Such a one is dead, another is dying, we once had said. We almost remember the sky before movement pierced it. We remember silence, then nothingness, then the hazy sky streaked with light. A miasma staining the earth till the seas ran red and the mares ate their foals, till there was no one left alive to guard the criminals and so they poured out, slayed the world, became everyday people, crying in the dirt, abandoning neighbors, robbing bodies in the street. Uh, so this next one's uh, on that same vein. It's about kind of uh, augury, which is uh, a type of foretelling, telling the future. We held hands, got diseases, but looked to the sky for what marked us. We wanted the sky to mirror the earth, sublunary a misconception of mimesis. We did not know that disasters have meaningless origins, that there are other ways to make vastness when encroached, to make the world jump over you in movement. And so we interpreted until we could not recognize the forces in the sky as friend or foe, and everything foretold an emptiness of spirit, a bitter helplessness, a kind of bargaining with the world that announces itself fully before shrinking around you in terror, like a vulture who flies above you to tell you of your danger, until there was no entry into the landscape, no glittering processional not crossed with swords. We lost our sense of time, reason numbers with our fingers believed in myths, Every bestiary figure, a creature we had seen once. So this next one um, is about uh, tintinabulation, which is the sound that bells make. Um, and uh, during the during plague, um, they thought that the air was stiff, so they would ring the bells all day and night to break up the air. Um, and in the poem, there's a quote uh, from the Estonian composer Arvo Pärt, um, who uses tintinabulation in his work a lot. Uh, 
Uh, the quote is, it is enough when a single note is beautifully played. This one note or silent beat or moment of silence comforts us. Um, and you'll hear it in the, in the poem. Tintinabulation. When we began dropping, ringing the streets like frills, we heard the bells. Day and night, they tickled the town with music, a ceaseless clanging. Day and night, we felt our way through a dark fog, weaving through tintinabulation. They were singing a requiem for the past, for the passing. They were breathing in and out, reappearing like a ship on the crest of a wave. Its body a bright spark on the curve of the horizon, a trick of light, green flash over the ocean, this fading. They were hopelessly in love. The sound was just that, one extra. It is enough when a single note is beautifully played, they said. This one note or silent beat or moment of silence comforts us. And when this is over, you will want to tell our story. You will want to breathe this Klein light over us. How we were dumped in ditches, unwept breath in our lungs, our bodies unmourned, unmourning. The still air rilled with bells, its hollow gonging, an agony, this wailing, warning us as our only form of solidarity. But tragedy is just one form of error. The bells were all removable, our bodies obstinate. They rang first to memorialize us, then rang to forget. Now we live as walls of schools or as museum talking point, living on as someone else's memory, a cautionary tale that only has so many exits of movement. Tiresome statistics that live in truth just as they cauterize it, a branch that strangles us with our hair as we ride beneath it. And then I'm going to... Um, I think I'm going to skip to some poems about COVID-19. Um, so I was ill with a clinically diagnosed case of COVID during April and May. Um, and these are some poems about being sick in a pandemic. <laughs> um, and this first one is called The Past Speaks to the Future. And it's from the perspective of um, individuals from past pandemics uh, speaking to us today. You'll never understand it until it's happening to you. People getting sick, the streets emptying out, and you think it won't affect you until you lose someone you know. Whole families are lost, mundane dynasties. In the news, their lives as uninteresting case study, intertwined only as permissive rubbernecking. Your feelings are your only form of compliance. You feel here, but you won't feel here until it's happening to you. The world is wailing numbers of the dead, thin air around you like a leadstone sinking to the sea. You'll marvel at the erraticness around you, surety of a rarity, scanning the sky for signs of an eclipse, something to mark the beginning of this place you're going to. Nothing here will fight for you or feel like it's fighting for you. You'll think you're living through something that you're somehow new. And not a single record skip, self-similar coastline sliver, indistinguishable from any other small tragedies masking large ones. The world isn't changing so much as it is changing you. There is nothing you can do here, but you still can't step away. At night, your terror wakes you, your heart a galloping horse, your breath leaping away from you. The past, a tuneless sadness you ignored until it started living in you, despite it ringing round you with the numbers of its dead. Uh, this one is called On Getting Sick. The sudden weirdness of being a biohazard. 
your doctor mumbling to you under a face shield from far away. Across the room, they ask you questions, examine you without touching you, kindness as incidental. How often you took for granted when even strangers touch. How strange it feels to be an island suddenly alone. You'd feel the world moving forward without you, only it's not moving either. Everyone is holding their breath. The agony of waiting to get sick or getting sick. The sudden dread of it, sudden sense of relief. How calm you feel when the worst thing to happen happens. And lucky, because you're not dying alone in a hospital bed, not tearfully saying goodbye. The agony of waiting to get well. Of waiting and waiting and waiting. Uh, this next one's about uh, called Night Terror, and it's about the horrible high fevers I had that were really spectacular. It was like a different state of being. Um, uh, so this is called Night Terror. All night you're walking away from you, like somebody trying to exit. You're here, but you're not here. Your body isn't yours, belongs to what inhabits it, habitable, not hospitable. All night, high fever brands you, rolling you like the sea, skin a subterranean, stained from inside out, all encompassing in its motility, whole body aphorism. You feel fully awake and three doors down from death, three clicks away from nothingness, fever a peak experience, obscuring field of vision in the wrong field of view, paroxysm drowning you. All night your heartbeat beats you, your heart leaping away from you, another kind of horse, a pulse lodged in your throat in this space, your only voice, your body a strange engine blinking you as traffic lights, trapped in vehicular movement until you're merely momentary, whole body contradiction, wail inside you just under your skin. Your body flashing on and off like lights sucked out to sea, wavy tempered windows of frantic amber and blue. And then I'm just going to read a couple of nature poems to end it. Uh, so I have, um, yeah, um, so I have two, I did two residencies last summer and I have two from one and two from the other. Um, the first two are from a residency I did for the National Park Service at a national monument in Oregon where I was writing about kind of pristine old growth forest in the Siskiyou Mountains. So uh, this is just a couple of nature poems about that. Um, the first one's called Colombian Black Tail Deer. Each deer is a colon, a half-hidden untruth truth, a gentle empty expression of wisdom on their face. The silence just before thought or just after. Each deer is an enigma, their blank faces housing a delicate ambiguity of helplessness, this delicacy we use. We use the weak for everything but their wisdom. We find the smallest place that we can fit them and then fit them in. We find them irreparably dull. We've made them into ourselves. Um, and then this next one is, it's part of a two-part poem, but I'm only reading the second part, and it's about all the moss and lichen over everything in temperate rainforest. It's called The Forest Took You Over. I know a man who fell asleep in the forest, and the forest took him over. In his sleep, it absorbed him. When he awoke, he was a madrone tree, his bark peeling like the hair of an orange. 
His clothes had turned to moss, his eyebrows tinged a yellow green. His arms were full of nests, wren and chickadee swarming him like gnats. He opened his mouth and his teeth were gray-white stalactites glowing like a cloud with the moon behind it. He tried to speak and bats flew out, one stuck to his uvula, making him clear and clear his throat. Now he stands somewhere in the forest, his long beard traying, trailing, his body swaying in the sighing wind. He's forgotten everything. If you find him, see if you can call him back. He'll try, but he'll just keep swallowing and swallowing the light, his body a bright green star. And then I have just have two more. And they're from, I did a residency last summer for the BLM for the Morley Nelson Snake River Birds of Prey National Conservation Area south of town. Um, the acronym for that is not better. It's equally long and uh, hard to remember. Um, so this is uh, two poems about that. The first one is an ode to the turkey vulture. I really love vultures, and we should care more about vultures and condors because so many of them are endangered, many of them critically so. Turkey vulture. Beauty is a vulture, a black body gripped in your heart, holding you down with its feet until you feel you are drowning in light. Beauty wears an ugly face smeared pink with a verdigree like a beaten copper kettle. Its beady eyes with shiny rim are like a river pebble. Beauty wears its streaks of jet, has no voice, walks awkwardly, is crooked when it flaps its wings, is always living crookedly. By day, it holds the blue-black children of clouds, its body like specks of ash rising above the dusty plains. By night, it wakes where tar pitch snags its wings like a piebald nail, trapping the dark in its feathers, wearing it like a sky-flecked fur. Beauty is a vulture, a black body gripped on the earth, each vulture waving a black flag dripped in blue exclamation points uh, okay and then the, this this is the last one um and uh it's about the blm actually has these education birds out back behind their main office um and usually they you know have been you know they have a broken wing or they have some injury where they can't return to the wild and this was about a red-tailed hawk there that had they had just um they had just acquired that had two broken wings and it couldn't fly anymore and it constantly forgot that it couldn't fly and kept trying to fly um and that's uh this poem cage talk with broken wings you're waiting here for the day to begin each morning is the morning where the blue air calls you into its banging shield of clouds the tin rattle of sun strolling over the parabolic rim of earth until you're flying a dappled haze of color holding its pursed hands above you this is what you miss in the black box, a room where you can wear it well but cannot fly again. You're broken in the broken places here, the right place to put your memories aside or the wrong one. It is the only place where you still have a future, but you miss the air, forget your wings don't work. Each morning you find yourself flapping them again, hoping to remember. So that's it. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> the last time I did a reading... I attended or performed at a reading that was this hot, I fainted, so I'm glad I did not do that. All right. Thanks, Hannah. Another round of applause. Speaking of hot, this microphone is very, very hot right now. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, so, so you had this project going before. Yeah. So how did it how, – why did that inspire you to – I mean, the plague is That's a, it's fascinating and also yeah. very strange, like – Facts I could I, ask you about too, but I don't know. I'm really fascinated by 
epidemics and pandemics. I, I think that's because I, you know, in college, I was a biology major for three years because I had intended to become an epidemiologist. So that's kind of, uh, I obviously I went a different route, but um, I still have that interest. So I'm, I'm just really fascinated by infectious disease and by just epidemics and pandemics that really change how we're living our lives, that kind of change the social, social systems that we rely on. And um, I was working on that project and it was definitely a, kind of a weird experience of like I would write a poem and then so many months would go by and I'd write another one and after a while I was like, I think this is the project. Um, and I kind of got to an impasse with it. I. I knew I wanted to add more to it, but I was trying to figure out uh, what angle that I wanted that to take. And I had actually thought about um, thinking about uh, how could I write, maybe I could write some poems about imagining what it would be like to live through a pandemic so I could kind of compare like how people behave then and how people behave now. But I was like, you know, I don't, but then I was thinking like who will want to read that when it's done? Like there's not a market for like writing about the psychology behind pandemics. It's been so long since we had one. This is like outside of people's experience. And and then the pandemic happened and I was like, this is prescient. And, um, that, that was my first thought. And then my second thought was just like extreme panicking for about a month. Um, so yeah. that is pretty wild timing wise, but uh, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I'm curious too, I guess, you know, doing like research that you've done, you've quoted a couple things at the beginning and kind of how do you take historical facts and or quotes and I don't know, how does that process work to make it, you know, kind of contemporary poetry? Yeah, um, so the reason I'm really fascinated by this book um, is because there's a lot of, um, he, he like uses a lot of like just anecdotes about like everyday people and everyday people's lives or he quotes, um, there's a lot of appendix appendix appendices in this that have uh, kind of journal entries and letters from the time period and like in people's own words and I think it um, I think this kind of started with my second chapbook the we don't bury did when our dead our animals they're elegies to individual extinct animals um, so photographs of or specimens of specific animals and I think this was kind of how do you write about something where the impact was so great and like numbers and statistics are so inhuman and it's hard to find a way to kind of emotionally walk around in those and have any intimacy with them um, so you tell you try to find accounts everyday stories of what people actually experience and try to tell those stories and so I'm kind of always looking with an eye towards you know actual individual accounts of specific everyday people and the lives um, that they lived at that time period so that's kind of where I um, look and like all of these the the poems have like quotes with them but I eschewed them for the sake of brevity. Okay, <laughs> um, that, no, that is fascinating. That's really cool. Um, and it's it's in the works right now. Yeah, you kind of yeah. A, are you getting closer? Are you, how would you think this is going to be out in the world? When? When? I mean, um, you don't have to say precisely, but well, um, I th I think I'm I think I'm intending to have it done by this winter so okay. um, I'm just yeah put you on the spot um, there I'm sorry no 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 it's, it's okay like yeah I, I do um, I have other projects that I pause to work on this so it has to get done yeah. this winter because I have to uh, go back to these other projects that's great well 
we won't keep you up here on the hot stage any longer. But um, yeah, I am super curious about the residencies too and how that works through the national parks. But oh be, yeah, well, what do you want to know? I don't know. How do you, do you mean you apply for these? Is it like supported by the BLM? And... Uh, so um so um the so there's uh so the National Park Service residencies. It's a program called the. Uh, ARR artist and AIR artist in residency program. Um, they call it AIR. And uh, if you just Google National Park Service artist in residency program, uh, there will there's a site for at, through the National Park Service that lists something like 60 or 70 sites. Um, and then you find one and that speaks to you. And then look at the uh, application parameters and then apply and cross your fingers and you know, hope you get it. Um, even, you know, national monuments or in these little kind of out of the way um, sites get actually get a ton of applications. So it's kind of a... That's pretty cool. I've never really looked into um, that. And then the BLM has a similar program. Okay. The Bureau of Land Management Artist in Residence. It's not the same program. It's separate. And then it's, it's similar to the National Park Service program, except that it's sites that are managed by the BLM. That's um, pretty cool. And you go live... There is it a literal residency? Yes. yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you're living in park housing in an efficiency apartment with the rangers, and that's interesting. So that's pretty, I'm sure it was <laughs> pretty cool. You've been able to do yeah. it two or three times now. Yeah. Uh, so two times with the National Park Service and once with the BLM. That's so awesome. um, every time I do it, I'm like, why would I? Why? Why would I do this? It's so much work. It's it's exhausting, and I'm anxious all the time and worried about it. And then, and then after, I think it's like having a kid where you're. You're like getting close to that due date and you're like, labor is terrible. Why would I do this? And then like maybe, you know, six months, eight months later, in that, in the case of a kid, maybe so many years later, you're like, I kind of want another one. And yeah, um, so that's kind of how it is. I think yeah, we operate as humans. <laughs> I think, a lot, right. but, um, <laughs> we forget well, the negative parts and then yeah. like, I got to do it again. So, well, thanks so much. Uh, yeah. I thank you for having me. Work and, yeah. um, one more round of applause and we'll get this all cleaned up and Lita will be up here next. Lita, we have something a little different um, for your project than straight up poetry, and it's going to be cool. We'll get some songs today. Are you going to actually perform and uh, you know, sing for us, or only tell us about it? It'll be mostly telling you about it, okay. but you'll see why. Yes, thanks for coming out on a, a warm afternoon in the garden, but it's quite pleasant in the shade. Um, and yeah, so your project, we can talk about a little bit towards the end. And get my computer to scroll, but it, um, yeah, basically you're collecting postcards of how COVID-19 is impacting people's lives, and you're translating those into songs. Um, you're going to collaborate with a filmmaker and make a music video of all these songs. That's the that's the plan, right? A song. Just Probably, one song? Yeah. Okay. Not too much demand. But I know, right? <laughs> one cool song. Okay, well, that's awesome. Um and just let me tell you a little bit about Lita, who is one of our wonderful creatives in this community and activists, and um, you've been busy. Yes, <laughs> you can talk about that if we'd like. But uh, mostly, just the basics are, make sure I pronounced your last name correctly, Neust, Neustadter. Harris Neustadter. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Lita Harris Neustadter is an arts educator, musician, actor, and clinical social worker. Um, she owns Metamorphosis Performing Arts Studio, where she weaves self-discovery and life skills into her music and acting classes. She has been a published writer, activist, and performer on screen and stage in the Treasure Valley for over 20 years. So, want to tell us a little bit about what you're going to give us today? 
Well, why don't I just do it? Why don't you just do it? Yeah. I'll get why out of here. Just do it. And you do it. Hi. Hi, people who are here. Hi, future Radio Boise audiences. Okay, so my COVID project has three phases. Phase one was to collect postcards from people to gather their experiences, how COVID is impacting them. The next phase is for me to then take those sentiments and weave them into a song. And then the final phase is to create a music video of the song highlighting the postcards. So we're right now just finishing phase one and I've collected the postcards. We're moving into phase two where I'll start creating the song. So the reason why I chose this project was because one of the things that I felt happening immediately with COVID was a immediate lack of intimacy with people. You know, we suddenly had distance between us. Um, in-person things were becoming electronic things. I do a lot of arts education, so all of my classes that I would be doing with all of my students were either canceled or were becoming remote. And so there was a just a interpersonal distance and um, more technological communication. And so I loved the idea of doing something that felt more nostalgic and personal and postcards to me with somebody's handwriting was a way to collect their own words, but also the added intimacy of their own handwriting and to get pieces of paper that each of these humans had touched and sent through the mail. And so I really liked the physical idea of the postcard and the, and the idea of the intimacy. And that's why I wanted the to do some kind of a music video or something when all of this was done to highlight the postcards so that everybody can see these people's handwriting and the postcards that they chose and the stamp they chose and the, you know, all those things that are those personal touches. Um, so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to read some of the postcards and you are the first ones who are going to hear them. I haven't read through them. All I did was collect them. And I've just been putting them away in a little safe spot. So this is the first time that anybody's going to actually hear what they have to say. And then um, I'm horribly bad at keeping track of time because I already forgot that I brought my phone up here so I could keep track of time. So I'm going to read some postcards for 10 minutes. And then I'm going to kind of show you a little something, something about how I might take a couple phrases out and add some melody to it or how that songwriting process could happen. Um, Okay, you ready? So, So I wanted to focus things in a little bit and so I gave people three questions that I had and they could answer one two or all three and I asked them how has COVID impacted you in the way of one something you're struggling with two something you're afraid of or three something you're grateful for and I just wanted people to speak to those three things so that I could have it a little bit Structured. I did not indicate anything about the songwriting because I didn't want people to send me song lyrics. I didn't want them to be trying to think of something that would work in a song. I just wanted to get people's authentic response to the questions. So here we go. Struggling with news overload and misinformation. Grateful for morning tea, technology, and one happy cat. I'm afraid that there will never be a time when I feel safe to be in a crowd or closed in space with other people. 
I am grateful for my dog. My dog makes every day okay. I'm very scared that the arts will never recover. I'm struggling with wanting to be there for other people and loved ones, and yet fear of the virus. I am struggling with not having time to myself and the uncertainty. I'm afraid of not being able to make it through this, not being able to make it through this change and keeping my job, which is my own business. I'm grateful for my family's health and the time I've been able to spend with them. I'm struggling with the fact that our president is using the pandemic to further divide our country's people. I'm afraid of the incompetency of our president and his team's disregard for science. I'm grateful for loving and being loved by my family and neighbors. I'm struggling with the uncertainty. I'm afraid of more loss. I'm so grateful for my extended family of friends and also my cats. And they drew a little picture of two smiling people holding hands for friends and then two little happy cats. I'm grateful for the women leaders in our world who offer compassion and sensible policies that people are willing to support. So this postcard is special to me because this is from a friend of mine in Oklahoma and you probably can't see it from there. You'll be able to see it on the video, but she's an artist. And so she decorated it and she has this very specific way of doing her lettering. And so just the minute I got this in the mail, I could feel her essence, you know, like Chris just sent me a postcard. Struggling with quieting my mind. Afraid of giving into fear and spiraling down. Grateful for nature, art, and connection to God. No, no, no. I added an and in there. Sorry. Grateful for nature, art, connection, God. Struggling with anxiety and depression. Afraid of politicians and that nothing will change. Grateful for my husband and my pets, the only things keeping me here anymore. These are kind of amazing, right? I don't know if it's just me, but I just feel like hearing people's... Mm. Struggling with losing 100% of my income, missing music community, writer's block for six and a half weeks, afraid of getting COVID-19 and dying with no one to take care of my dog. I fear the end of USA and life on earth if Trump wins in 2020. Grateful for the slowdown and quiet of lockdown, nature replenishing itself, and less traffic. Struggling with not going to water yoga, not ushering the symphony, volunteer work. Afraid of suffering illness, grateful for my husband. I've been struggling with the prospect that I may not see my faraway grandchildren for a year or more. They are young, six, eight, and 10, and I am old, and I've been seeing them twice a year. 
I'm afraid of how poorly our federal government has handled and continues to handle this crisis. More people die, and I'm also afraid of how divided we Americans are. I'm afraid we'll never be united. I'm grateful for my ability to walk and ride my bicycle. I'm grateful for communication and technology. I'm grateful for hope and resilience. I'm struggling with isolation from local family and inability to cross the border to see my distant family. I'm afraid of catching this disease myself or friends and family and what this has done to the nation and the world. I'm grateful for internet access and connections of all kinds. And then also my cats. Struggling with, as a teacher, I'm really struggling with the school closure. I miss my students and I worry about them. I had 90 kids in my drama club and our production of Lion King had to be canceled. I'm afraid of transmitting COVID to someone else, especially my parents. I'm grateful for the gospel of Jesus Christ and the hope that comes from this, and the, and the hope that comes from his atonement. I'm struggling with politics, worries. I'm afraid of the Republican Party. I'm grateful for time to work on music, time spent with elderly pets. Stay safe, dogs are God. Dear Lita, I'm struggling with the possibility of a future with COVID-19 and no vaccine to at least give some protection. Can you imagine what our world would have been like if there were no polio vaccine? I'm afraid of my fellow citizens who appear to not grasp the concept of doing something like participating in social and physical distancing or wearing or wearing a cloth mask for the good of the group. I'm grateful for being able to breathe. I don't think about every breath, but now and then, oh, I don't think about every breath, but now and then I suck in a big lungful of air and I smile. I'm struggling with my anger at people who aren't taking this seriously for political reasons and putting others at risk. I'm afraid of young people getting the virus and either dying or suffering long-term damage to heart and lungs. I'm grateful for my family and neighbors who have all supported each other's physical, mental, and financial health. My biggest struggle is when to go back to the office. I'm afraid of my family getting sick and not being able to work or function. I'm also afraid that our country is being destroyed by a narcissistic evil pig. I'm grateful to have a healthy family and to be able to still have a good job. All right, I'm gonna do one more of these. This one's kind of long, but I appreciated the fact that he just used an, an index card. Like, use what you got. Something I am struggling with. Realizing how fortunate I am relative to just about everyone else, I still have a job. I enjoy I still have a job I enjoy doing that pays well. My problems are first world problems. I can't find the flower I prefer at the grocery store. I enjoy singing, but all my choral groups are shut down. My favorite entertainment is going to plays and concerts, but they're also shut down. 
something I'm afraid of, what this crisis has revealed about the large numbers of my fellow citizens. I hope their numbers have been blown out of proportion by media coverage, but I'm worried that for every person who makes it into the news, there are 10 or 100 more who fed the same, who feel the same more personally. Oh, who feel the same. More personally, I'm afraid of what might happen if I come down with COVID-19. I'm over 60, mildly overweight, and have mild asthma, three significant risk factors. Something I'm grateful for that I have a job that is still happening, that I enjoy, that I, uh, sorry, punctuation. I have a job that is still happening, that I enjoy, and that pays well, one that lets me help friends and organizations who might be struggling financially. So that's a taste of these postcards. I'm curious with the show of like thumbs up, thumbs down, if you felt like you could relate to what you were hearing? Like, were you hearing people? Yeah, it seems like everybody can relate to that. Did anybody, and you can just wave on this one, did anybody hear something that was like, wow, I never would have thought of that? You know, like, that's a worry I didn't have, or that's a... Yeah, so that's pretty cool. I mean, that's what I was wondering. You know, I was wondering if in all of our most intimate fears, would they actually really be the same? You know, when people were anonymously sending me a postcard and weren't trying to have group mentality, but were just really speaking to their own most personal feelings, would we find that they were very similar amongst age groups and amongst, you know. So then the next step for me will be the putting it in song. Um, You know, I'll find some common phrases. I'll find some, you know, obviously there's going to have to be some refrain about pets, y'all. I speak as well for myself. I don't know what I would have done without my dog. So the love of pets what people are happy with. You know, I don't know if I'm going to do um, like a acoustic-y kind of thing where I'm playing piano. I have a friend of mine who some of you might know, Jake Saunders. He was one of the founders of 208 Ensemble. He's a fantastic cellist, like a completely amazing cellist. And he's in Boulder now at this point, um, getting his PhD to be even more amazing. And But he has already offered to help me on the song and play it on so I might do that, but also like I've got a friend of mine named Thomas Newby who is also a CCC fund, and he he wants to do some remote collaboration as well. So he sent me some tracks. For example, I might listen to something like this. You know that I could then add some vocals to. I miss my family, I miss the kids in my family, you know, like, who knows, right? Um, So the idea for me at this point will be pull out some of the words that speak to me and then start throwing them into a vibe and see like, yeah, or like, no, I don't want it to have a beat. I want it to just be like a really you know, ethereal thing or like maybe it'll end up, maybe, maybe Christian actually planted a seed and maybe it'll end up being a couple different songs. You know, maybe there'll be a song that has that kind of a vibe. Like there's another vibe that is kind of, you know, could be speak to some of the things that people are afraid of. You know, there's kind of a tense vibe with this.
right? So something like that could be cool maybe for some of this stuff. Um, so maybe I'll end up doing a different little song for each of the different energies, what we're grateful for, what we're afraid of, or maybe the song will morph. But that is now the phase that I'm entering into. And you will all be able to see the video once it's finished. And I'm sure Christian's going to ask me when that's going to be because he's going to put me on the spot as well. So I will avoid that question when it comes in a minute. Thank you very much. See, that's some master deflection. Like when you can deflect before it's actually even been asked. Thank you, Lita. That was amazing. Thank you. As expected from all three of you. But let's give her one more round of applause. And um, I love that idea. Very much. I've been a collector of like old postcards from family, but just from like estate sales and that kind of stuff. And kind of the the brevity of it and just the intimacy of it is, is just great. So, so is this something you had ever thought about doing before, like collecting ideas from lyrics or just sort of for songs from other friends and strangers? This was 100% just for this CCC. Like when when I um. Honestly, when I very first saw, I had several people immediately tag me like, Lita, Lita, there's going to be a grant. And at that point, um, I was so removed from any kind of creative process. I was in 100% panic mode, 100% freaking out about, you know, I'm a musician and I teach in the schools, you know, and everything that I do to make a living was being canceled. Um, so my desire to try to be in a creative place, you know, was like, nope. And I, I guess at just one point I thought I just felt like, okay, well, one of my friends made a comment that I had a lot of resistance to. And whenever I have a lot of resistance to something, I try to kind of figure out why, because there's probably something for me to learn there. And it was that comment that, you know, about finding the good and what's happening or like, blah, blah, blah. And trying to figure out like why I hated that pressure to find the good in everything, you know, when people were like legitimately needing to be able to grieve the losses that they were feeling. But I felt like, well, what if I apply for this grant just as a way to make myself get into that headspace? Like make myself think about, well, what is something creative I could do with all of this just so I could see would that help alleviate some of this anger and grief I feel right now? And so um, where I do most of my good thinking is walking on the foothills with my dog. So while I was walking, I just started generating like, what would be something I would do? And that's what came to mind is that I felt like I would, it was kind of like the idea was, uh, you know, how we're dealing with this as a community for COVID. So I felt like, well, then it's not just about how I'm doing. How's everybody doing, you know? And I want to collect those things, but how, I, how could I collect them more intimately than just a Facebook post? And and so that's where it came up. It was basically on the course of a walk. Yeah, well, it's a really inventive way to do it, and just asking the very simple questions that open up those intimacies and those kind of, you know, just truths of these lives. Like it was really cool just listening to you read them. Um, I kind of felt this the isolation because there are all these separate cards, you know, these postcards. It's just like, oh, this is from behind that wall, or this is from in that house or that apartment. So it has a really cool vibe that way um do you think you'll like display the postcards at some point in time after the songs are written <laughs> well i so i wanted to do um i thought either a music video or work with a visual artist who might have a more creative idea about what to do with them that's not my forte so i i 
don't feel like I'll have particularly good ideas about what to do visually. Um, but then also the Department of Arts and History had put out a call for things to put in the archives that are related to these. And so I certainly felt like once I've done whatever I'm going to do, the music video or the whatnot, then I will definitely give them to the Arts and History Department if they want them for them to be archived forever more. Yeah, I think that's, I did see a call for that through the Arts and History or other places too, just wanting to have that history. Um, you know, just like the book that Hannah has there, that the the hidden history of the plague era, they'll have a pretty good record now, I'm sure. Yeah. But um, I definitely, I don't want to be the keeper of that. You know, this is a whole, the whole point of this was a community thing, mm-hmm. you know, so I don't want to hold the postcards once I've written the song. I would like to definitely, and so I'm open to, to different ideas about what I can do with them or who might be interested in archiving them. Yeah, well, it's a fantastic project. That was one of the cool things, um, getting to go through all the applications um, that came in and to see how many amazing, you know, creatives we have out there and these awesome projects like what Hannah puts putting together and what you are and 67 others in the in the community and even the folks who didn't quite make the the cut. There were some amazing projects there too. So it is really. It's important and it's difficult, you know, I know um, personally as a writer and someone who does a lot of these kind of events, we have a nice small gathering um, today, but uh, gosh, missed all that so much. So um, it's great to hear you and have you here and um, any final words for us? Anything we should look for in your world as far as like doing stuff online or putting some of your music out there or... Uh, Well, speaking of Radio Boise, actually, I guess, um, I will be creating my own radio show. Um, and that I look for my name, Lita Harris Newstetter, because I haven't officially named the show yet. It'll be a variety show, and it'll focus on black and brown voices. Um, but I'll have music, current events, conversations, but also games and lives, live, you know, poetry slam. I mean, it's really going to be a variety show, so it's not going to be it's not going to be too um, too heavy and too mired down in political stuff. That sounds awesome. Do you have a timeline? I'll put a, t- a little pressure on that one. I know, right? <laughs> um, yeah, well, my understanding is as soon as I can complete it and deliver it to Wayne, they can pretty quickly get it on the air. And so we're just waiting for me. We just had a virtual town hall here last night um, talking about Boise police issues. Um, which was interesting for me to be in this space for two totally different vibes. And I recorded that. And so I might actually throw together my first episode with some recordings of people's comments there and reactions there and some relevant music that speaks to some of those issues. Um, So I am going to say on the record that I will have my first episode completed within one week's time of today. Okay, we're going to hold you to this. And so it has been said. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I look forward to that and this project coming to fruition. And how cool. Um, well, it's hot up here. So I'm going to get off the stage and uh, enjoy the rest of the Saturday. But thanks for coming out. Um, you can, um, can, well, I want to thank Jillian and Tracy Lee, uh, the garden staff here, and uh, all the the horticulturist who put this little world together. It's so beautiful. So, um, and yeah, just uh, check out our schedule. A couple things might shift um, to a couple of the Tuesday night events um, might be rescheduled for Saturdays, but uh, the Idaho Botanical Garden website will have all that info. Storyport will be posting about it as well. And um, be safe, wear your mask, 
with, yeah. and you know, be nice to Wear people. Wear your mask. <laughs> yes. I want to thank Allison Meyer behind the mask there, who's our storyboard assistant, and she was taking some awesome shots, and we'll post some of those pictures online too. So, okay, all right. Well, have a good one, and thanks so much. Okay, then. That was our episode out at the Idaho Botanical Garden. Man, great stuff. And I want to thank all the creatives that took part in such things. And that series will keep rolling. We have uh, some events you can find out about at uh, treefortmusicfest.com. Click on Story Fort, find out about some of the stuff we're doing, as well as uh, check out the Story Fort Facebook, Instagram, Twitter accounts. We have all that stuff cooking. But we want to thank Ease Drop Studios. That's E A S E drop.com. You can find out all about all their wonderful podcasts. We want to thank Up is the Down is the for providing our wonderful theme music. We want to thank Tree Fort Music Fest and all your fans of such things. Um, man, we miss you. And as uh, I keep mentioning, one day soon, we shall see you at the fest. Be safe. Be well. Enjoy all this summer goodness while it's here. Take care. Tomorrow never came.